0: Welcome and happy Friday. This is Travelog, the podcast of Condé Nast Traveler, and I'm here in the podcast studios with Laura Redman and Paul Brady, both of whom are editors for Traveler, and Barbara Peterson, who covers the airline beat for us and for lots of other places, Barbara. You get around. We have um, to talk about that. She's a traveler <laughs> through and through. Um, my name is Brad Rickman, and our topic of the week... Let's see, this is air travel month, I guess, because last week we talked about things we hate or controversial air travel topics this week we're going to talk about how air travel is going to change in 2018 so barbara actually did a piece for us in uh december of 2017 looking forward which seems like as good a place as any to start the given that the title of that piece was how air travel will change in 2018 so i'm assuming you have all the answers to this but one of the things that we've been writing about and covering That's kind of of immediate interest or at least concern that I think we can allay some concern around is the Real ID Act, which we've talked about in the past. Um, This was the regulation passed by Congress that states had to up their game with driver's licenses that are used to get on planes, um, make them more secure. And some states have been compliant and some states haven't been compliant um those rules were set to take effect on January 22nd states got extensions so basically i think the place that we've netted out on the real id act at this moment in time is everybody can keep using their existing id until October 22nd of 2018 is that right
1: yes that is correct and you know i didn't put this in that story about how travel will change because i was assuming like you know, a lot of other things that come out of Washington that just be another case of kicking the can down the road, and so that's why I didn't put it in. So because it sort of reminds me of Y two K, you know, and all this you know hysteria, and then of course they're not going to really do that, right? I mean, it would
2: cause such a huge upheaval. I think if they were even that seems to be the name of the game these days, though, is do something and cause upheaval.
1: <laughs> yes, exactly. So <laughs> this would have been a gratuitous insult, I think. You know, I mean, I mean, just to suddenly throw, you know some major air travel hubs are in those states that were the laggards. So I think everybody can rest assured that, you know, you can still fly with your, you know, driver's license. So it's probably not a bad idea to get a passport if you don't have one. And there's still, I think, a surprising number
2: of people in the United States who still don't have a passport. I think it's 60% or something close to that. And there's probably going to be a a lot of people applying for passports this year because you have 10 years typically on a U.S. passport, and there was a rush 10 years ago, so it's kind of coming back around right now. Um, typically, it takes six to eight six to eight weeks to get your passport, but there's lots of ways to expedite it. too. like Barbara said, though, just get it, apply for it.
1: <laughs> yes, and also there are a lot of countries that you know won't let you in if your passport is going to expire, you know, in less than six months. So you know that's another thing to think about. So. Really, you might always want to get two passports, which I understand some people do. Uh,
0: can you actually do that?
1: Yeah, you can. That's it's, legit. It's, it's a yeah. popular thing. For, for example, for as I've learned from my you know family out in LA, rock stars, or maybe not even rock stars, just rock musicians and <laughs> actors, people like that. That's at the top of the <laughs> list of benefits of being a
0: rock star, I guess. Yeah, because,
1: because they often have to travel on fairly short notice, and then what if you've already put your passport in to be renewed and you're waiting for three weeks for it to come back? So, they anyway, it's, I know
2: it's bizarre, but...
0: This is DHS that runs passports mm-hmm. now, right? State Department.
2: Yeah. The simpler way.
0: Simpler way. But State Department mm. is a subset of
3: DHS, or the, or the opposite? Or are they two separate organizations? It's
1: separate and maybe equal? I don't know.
3: <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a big question for someone in Washington, right? I th- well, DHS has TSA, yeah. uh, Department of Homeland Security, and then State Department uh, is who you ask and pay uh, for the privilege of carrying a passport, right?
1: right? But, and then DHS, though, has customs, which, uh, which of course is, looks and immigration, and they're the ones who check to make sure your passport is legit. So.
0: Right. Okay. So,
1: They've been
3: running oh, What yeah. a web we weave. <laughs>
0: and nobody works at any of them right now (laughs) um okay I heard they fixed that actually (laughs) did did they fix that Uh, for the next few weeks another
2: extensions it's all about extensions
0: (laughs) there you go so we'll get just another
2: extension so I would say carry your passport just in case why not
0: the one thing I was going to point out is that they actually because there is this glut they have actually been running fairs in certain markets around the country to get people processed more quickly more rapidly they're tending to focus on children and first-timers, but if you do find yourself in a bind, um, or if you know you're going to have to renew this year, check your area and see if there's one of those um, in the area you might be able to get special treatment.
2: I think they were doing that in New York at one point. I was looking to get global entry for my daughter, tiny, tiny daughter, and Penn Station was having like a satellite setup where you could go there. Typically, you'd have to go all the way out to an airport like JFK or LaGuardia in the New York area. and uh, you stand in lines and get your fingerprint check, but they were doing a little, I don't know what it was, a kiosk or whatever. A pop-up. You know? a, pop-up a pop-up,
3: I, I yeah. straight a pop-up. No, I've heard about. I've heard about similar things. Um, you know, one of the companies that helps process applications for global entry will do pop-ups at sporting events sometimes. Really? So, you know, it's aimed sort of at the tailgating crowd that you can go and mid tailgate head over bring your documents fill them out pay your fee and get global entry while you're you know at the jets game so it's probably actually the most exciting thing that's going to happen to you all sunday <laughs> you can do the interview and everything there? yeah 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 this that's company amazing. Um, identigo was was doing that and they're going to keep um one of their reps i was talking to said they're going to try to do that this summer um at other whether it's sporting events or concerts or that sort of thing so um, i don't know that's a really cool idea because you're, you're right Laura, it's it's such a pain. Like Mm -hmm. It pains us, especially those of us in New York, to have to go to the airport even to catch a flight for vacation. But (laughs) I certainly don't want to head out there to do an interview and fill out paperwork. Although, Barbara, you've said the interview's not really. Oh, it's ten mi- much of anything. Yeah. Right. Yeah. ten minutes yeah.
1: long, right? Yeah. How long was yours? Yeah, no, not even. Yeah, and then I just renewed it. I'm actually I've had it long enough to renew it, I and that's even too. better. You just don't, you know, they don't want to see you at all at that point. You don't have to you go know? in when, <laughs> when you yeah. renew.
0: it? Yeah,
3: they, they, <laughs> so, There's not security I'm, for you. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, you know, let's let's face it. This is a, you know, we're not supposed to say it, but a lot of this is security theater, and we all know that. And it's just kind of okay. Let's you know, let's keep up the pre tense. But, you know, it's it's actually unfortunate that not more people are doing this. I mean, TSA PreCheck was supposed to have had like 20 million members by now. That was the prediction when they first rolled it out like five years ago. And it's, it's what, hovering around 5 million, maybe a little more. Uh, it's, as Paul was saying, you know, they don't have enough of these enrollment areas who wants to schlep out to jfk if you're not going to catch a flight do you think that's the
2: biggest inhibitor do you think price is a problem like what's what's
1: keeping people from getting it i mean i can tell you
0: why i don't have it and it's totally you don't have it no and it's totally what paul was saying which is that i know that i'm going to have to go to the it's not even the interview like a 10-minute interview or a 40-minute interview i don't care because i'll spend four hours going to the airport and back unless i do it at some time but i don't have control over the time right you get an appointment from them. You can choose.
2: I mean, w- wouldn't you spend that much time in a security line in the course of like two trips? No,
0: because of what I've used, what and I will continue to use what Paul was just talking about before we got on, which is um, the mobile TSA app.
2: All right, talk about that because there's a couple mobile mo- Passports There's sorry. a couple mobile advancements that are happening, like automatic check-in too. Yeah,
0: that was so.
2: So what what do you save by doing mobile passport?
3: Well, Paul just did it, so I'll let him. Describe it. <laughs> yeah, I just—I mean, I came back from Cuba earlier this week, which maybe that's a whole nother podcast. Um, totally. But I do like dropping it casually in conversation. Well, I just flew back from Havana. It's fancy, but uh, but so did Barbara. So <laughs> it's not as fancy as as we seem. <laughs> um, anyway, Cuba is still legal and open, and there's a bunch of stuff on our site about that as well. But um, yeah, mobile passport app is this sort of secret but not secret application that you can use on your phone to basically bypass the customs and immigration lines. In fact, this most recent trip when I came back, I was moving through those lines faster than people with global entry. So it's a free app. Um, it's called Mobile Passport. Um, you save your passport information. You take a picture of yourself. You answer those same questions like, am I um, carrying a bunch of cash that I acquired illegally? Am I carrying <laughs> a bunch of stuff that Livestock. I'm not supposed to? Right. Um, you answer those questions and you hit submit when you land um, at your you know destination airport and you basically just scan a code on your phone, and um, in my experience, every single time, Customs and Border Protection says, go on ahead. And I've never been asked another question. I've never been given a rigmarole. I sort of am always the only person. They almost have this look on their face like, oh my God, you heard about this well, thing. Well, yeah. What <laughs> line,
2: are you in the global entry line? It has you?
3: its own line. Yeah. It has its own line that's next to the global entry line. So this is another thing is that you feel very like Jason Bourne kind of badassy. Like you're between global entry and diplomats right. in this like super <laughs> VIP lane. Although the one thing that's not VIP about it is usually it's just like a piece of paper, you know, that somebody has printed out of like the inkjet in the office that mm-hmm. says mobile passport and it's kind of taped on there with like the corner Which torn is so off. It's so not and mobile. That's yeah. kind
2: of funny that you get a print off. It's
3: from- really <laughs> weird. But I, like I said, I've never waited. Um, I've never been behind someone. Like it seems to be this sort of super secret, savvy traveler thing that either nobody knows about or the only people who know about it already have global entries, so they don't feel the need to really use it. Well, that's, that's it my s-
2: scenario. What? When did you start using it, just recently?
3: Um, you know, of course, that you asked me that, I'm not gonna remember when it came out, but at least, I mean, a half dozen trips, if not more. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I think it's so easy and so straightforward, such a
0: one-to-one mapping of the paperwork that you fill out anyway, that I thought I was doing it wrong. Like, I thought, this, this just can't be working right. And it's free? <laughs> You yeah, don't, don't yeah to totally anything. free. Like, yeah. you just download this so app. So
2: why, okay, not to I turn mean, this podcast into a whole dissection, but why sign up for Global Entry, which sounds like does exactly the same thing and pay money. Uh, that's
3: why Cause I, cause I haven't Because you yell at me if it. I don't.
1: Well, <laughs> you because you get pre-checked, That with Global Entry. Which uh, you wouldn't with that. That's that's right. correct. You okay. don't okay. get pre-checked Customs privileges. only. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and it's all, and Global Entry is only $15 more than pre check right. So, you know, most people say, okay, if I'm going to go through the, you know, pain to get it. So, Absolutely. so that's really the only. No, I I agree with you. I mean, I when I flew back through Miami uh, just the other day, it was uh, you know all these people headed to Global Entry because they're the ones who've had it for a long time, and anybody who's anybody you know gets Global Entry. Right? And and you're <laughs> right, nobody nobody was going to the mobile passport. But I think it's because they do such a lousy job of getting the word out. You Absolutely. Know, they, and so you're right. Right now, it's a best kept secret. Uh, maybe after this podcast, it, yeah, consider. It the word out. No,
0: we've be, covered. We, like, I learned I, I, about it. For, I don't yeah. remember if you wrote about it or somebody else. Catherine, uh, Catherine might have written about it, but I learned about it from our coverage somewhere. I don't even remember. Yay, when traveler,
2: or, keeping him, I, keep the I, boss informed.
0: Yeah,
3: so if you are a regular reader of Conde Nast Traveler, you you will know about these things. I will say, if we if we come back to pre-check for one one final tidbit, I think there's one other reason that the sign-ups aren't where they're supposed to be, and 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 you guys tell me if you've experienced this, but. I certainly see people talking about it on social media, and I certainly see it at the airport that sometimes the pre check line is as long as the regular line, and sometimes the regular line kind of turns into a pre check line. You might notice this sometimes that suddenly you don't have to take off your shoes and you don't have to take your laptops and tablets out of your bag and suddenly you're being sniffed by a dog and that's exactly the sort of thing that they do in the pre-check line. So for me, this sort of gamble on will uh, will pre-check actually save me time? Will my experience actually be predictable or different? Uh, You don't ever seem to know the answer to that question and and I'm not the kind of person who wants to spend 85 or 100 with global entry to kind of take a gamble on that.
1: Yeah, no, you're definitely right. I've noticed that a lot. When I flew out of LaGuardia recently, and the pre-check line was just moving glacially and everybody was getting so hacked off because then next to us was a virtually empty you know, sort of standard you know, checkpoint. Area. Yeah. So so a bunch of, you know, this being New York uh, you know, they got a lot of uh, pushback and then they magically opened <laughs> to... <back>. Leah. <laughs> That's one way of saying it. Yeah. <laughs> but they did respond though, I have to say. TSA. I mean, you know, these guys, they, they do know that there's, you know, a little bit of image problem they've got so mm-hmm. I do think that they will respond they're not going to i don't think people have to be afraid you know for example say hey you know but but the other thing is that there's thing this thing called clear and Mm -hmm.
0: um i was going to ask you about that
1: yeah yeah, yeah well clear is actually one of the another thing that not a lot of people know about um and you know, I was at Grand Central uh, Terminal just a few months ago, and they had a little mobile sign up, you know, like you were describing with TSA is doing it at places like train stations. And I said, hey, why not? And then I'm a Delta frequent flyer, yeah. uh, of course. Like who isn't, right? It's the big. And so <laughs> they said, okay, if you give us your Sky Miles number, you get you get a half half price, you know, membership. So it's more expensive, which is part of the issue. But what it does is it means you can cut straight to the head of the line. The thing that holds up the precheck. The TSA line. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. You can, you know, what the document checker is. That, that you know. Right. Well, that is often where the longest wait is. And because they have one person there. So right. with Clear and PreCheck and Global Entry and Mobile App, I suppose if you get all of those things, then maybe you can finally. You know, <laughs> so with Clear, <laughs>
2: does Clear effectively make you a diplomat? I mean, who gets, <laughs> no, and, who gets through faster? Uh, okay. Well,
1: Clear is only, it's a weird product. My problem you know, with Clear, because
0: yeah. I tried Clear, I was coming back from Austin last year and they were giving it away. Yeah. They were giving free trials at the airport, mm-hmm. right? And there's a gigantic line and it, the guy was like perfect salesmanship. He was like, come over here I'm going to fix you up and it works like it just like they waltz you up to the front and then they waltz you through and it's like very very nice but the problem was then the next trip that I took and I don't even remember where this was I was coming back in and I was like great I'm going to use my clear and they were like oh no it's over in terminal 2 so it doesn't have saturation enough yet no, that no. you can feel, and it's expensive. I don't remember the cost, but yeah, I remember 179 thinking, it's one hundred seventy nine a year. Yeah, you it's know, enough without for me to discount. think
1: about it. Okay, if you're Delta frequent flyer, yeah, that's a gonna, lot, can, yeah. right?
0: So that's why I was like, when I came back, and I and I and I'm thinking about because I was I was almost up for renewal, and so I came back, and if I had been able to use it at more places, I would have said, okay, that's a good investment because this truly does let you skip a, a massive annoying line, and they just haven't reached that saturation yet. Do you feel
2: a little bit like a dick skipping to the front
0: of that line? (laughs) Not if I'm paying them $179 a year. Okay, so you just waltz up you put your sunglasses on indoors. Dude, everybody else in that line can pay them too.
2: I know, I know, but like it's okay. You felt okay doing it. You didn't get
1: they Shamed. walk
0: with you so that you look like you're official. Okay. There's like a dude walking <laughs> with you. Yeah.
1: I know. I love that about it. It's like a concierge yeah. service, you know. They hold your hand, seriously. <laughs> no, I it's an interesting company, you know, they're also doing things like with stadiums and other venues, you know, where they like lo- yes. yeah. Um, I, you know, I'm not sure really what's going on with them because I would think why haven't you gotten exactly to your point to more airports? Yeah. Cuz you can't just have it at like one terminal no. in an airport like JFK where they've got five terminals. Yeah. So, I And think- they seem
0: to have a lot of, I mean, I don't know what's behind it, but they seem to have enough VC to kind of like make a lot of, I was, I was curious why they didn't pick, I'm, I'm sure they did at some level, but like pick certain strategic places and just saturate them. Make it so that if you're coming into this airport, if you're going into that right. airport.
2: Because you don't typically pick an airport by its terminal unless you're a dedicated flyer like a JetBlue flyer right. or a Delta flyer out of Atlanta, you know. But I mean, why... I mean, Why wouldn't they,
1: exactly? Well, what happened was Delta bought a stake in the company. Mm -hmm. So Delta wants it to be for Delta flyers. And so, yes, if you're flying into, you know, an airport or a terminal that's served by Delta. But uh, that raises an interesting question, though. Delta might not want to, you know, make it so much easier for passengers of another airline, a rival airline. So I think it's always tough when they get in bed with an airline because, you know, that means, okay, then they're not going to be as... You know, receptive and vice versa. But they? even
0: all, they didn't even have yeah. coverage at all. The Delta, right? really, because yeah. I was fl- it was a Delta flight that I was on. Yeah. The other thing I was going to say, Paul, about the uptake on the pre-check is that a lot of one thing that also may be holding them back is a lot of credit cards, you know, traveler credit cards and frequent flyer programs have started making that a benefit that you can get at certain levels, and that may also be. Um, disincentivizing people for signing up like my wife will get you know, pre-check because she's a whatever level member with Delta all the time and so like she doesn't really care she doesn't need it and sometimes they'll let all this go all together
3: you know yeah I mean I think that, that opens up I guess a new phase in this conversation about what to expect from air travel in 2018 which is um, this proliferation of fees and extras and frequent flyer points and credit cards and all of these different sort of Ways to hack your experience, and you know whether the airlines call it sort of you know picking the services you want, which is really euphemistic, um, or you know atomizing that world of choice for a consumer who's just sort of more confused than ever. You know that that story about getting led to the front of the line. It makes me think about um, you know I flew not too long ago with a pet, and I went out of my way to pay for priority boarding, right? Which is another one of these things that you can kind of tack onto your fare and say well, I'll give you $19 if I can jump to the front of the line and I can board before everyone except the first-class passengers. And let me tell you, I mean, you do feel, to your point, <laughs> you feel those eyes boring into the back of your head, but you also, I think, you know, do you temper that with, hey, you could have clicked the $19 box, too, and you were too cheap to do it. Um <laughs> I don't know I kind of net out that like choice is a good thing and if you can fly across the country for 300 bucks on a plane that is so safe like that's amazing and if it costs 19 extra dollars to get to the front of the line and it costs seven dollars to have a craft beer and it costs nine dollars to put my bag in the overhead bin or what like I'm still getting a really crazy good deal on transcontinental flights. So kind of okay with it.
2: Well, that kind of like itemization or the a la carte menu that is now available seemingly on every airline, Mm -hmm. not just the budget ones that like Norwegian that have become kind of a a leader, a trendsetter in that realm. Um, What does that do to frequent flyer programs, to loyalty programs? Do you just go, when you look for flights, you guys here, when you look for flights, are you looking for the cheapest possible option or do you stick with your airline and see where they go and hope that you will get discounts like, TSA pre-check or automatic check-in or whatever because of your loyalty program. Um, I would say people aren't loyal
1: to the airline anymore, seriously. And the airlines get that. So the whole thing with frequent flyer programs is it's really undergone a major change in in the last couple of years. It's no longer related to the distance. You know, calling it miles is kind of a joke now because it's not about how many miles you fly. And it's about how much you pay. So it's... And I think that what... I mean, at least what I do is I've got this great credit card and I I love it. It's called the, the it's the Chase, you know, the the one that they had a big promotion about a year ago. And the Reserve. It, yeah, the Reserve. And and I signed up about a day before this was about to expire, which I got a hundred thousand miles just for second. That's amazing. Years, or yeah. points. I'm sorry, hundred thousand is incredible. Yeah, 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 that. Yeah, I I finally like said I've got to just go this direction, not the other. You know, because I could never get the award seats I wanted. I mean, I was never going to be you know like the up in the air character, you know, played by George Clooney, you know, just you know, million uh, miler. yeah. Um, so you know, it's it's really, I think, the loyalty thing is really, you know, becoming extinct. You know, so
0: do, you, do well. It feels mm. like it's migrating from the airlines to credit cards.
2: Yes. I are think you guys are loyal to an airline or a credit card? I I am not currently to either. I am to both. Okay.
3: Wow i i have I have loose. Allegiances. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> saucy. I'm like a I'm like a Monopoly player. You know,
2: <laughs> you
1: play a the wheel. field. Yep.
3: I, w- I would mm. I would hesitate to call myself a deal maker because that that term has kind of been co opted.
2: What's your Park <laughs> Place like? What, what would you <laughs> no, go for?
3: I, I mean, and what what I mean by that is is there are brands that I prefer, and there are cards that I lean towards but i think it's so dependent on the kind of trip and where you're going and and how important certain things are like if i'm if i'm flying across country with my pet to bring up that trip again like i sought out virgin america in part because of nostalgia and this feeling of virgin america will no longer exist this is the last we time i'll fly too. on on virgin mm-hmm. america um, i will overpay to have the onboard experience, the service, the quality, um, the lack of on-time service. No, <laughs> <laughs> I was hoping it would be on time, but I went out of my way to book that because they have a great schedule and they have great service, and, and I knew that the experience would be predictable and excellent. Um, other times, you know, like if I'm flying to Chicago, which for me is, you know, a two hour flight from here in New York, I really don't care. I can tolerate a lot of garbage for two hours yep. and I will fly on anybody who's Agreed. got the lowest price and I'm happy to pay for a snack if I want it. I'm happy to pay for early boarding if I want it, but usually I'm not carrying anything. So, or, or a very small carry on. So I'm not even worried about overhead bin space. Um, I find that it really depends on the trip and what kind of trip it is and how long the trip is and um, my mood. I don't know. It's. I, I guess <laughs> no, this is I guess you, this is saying you, that loyalty is dead <laughs> because if I were truly loyal, I would say I fly Delta all the time.
0: But I mean, do you feel like, I guess my question would be the matrix of loyalty has become a little bit different. Um, and I would say, do you feel like, I think I know your answer to this. I think you answered it already, that if you are somebody who is doing what you're talking about and kind of looking at the matrix of the kind of trip, where you're going, how long the flight is, where are you bringing your pet, not bringing your pet, do you pack a lot of stuff? Do you feel like your choices are getting better? Do you feel like it's getting better for the consumer? Or do you feel like you're, you're the, it's, it's more complicated, but not more beneficial?
3: Yeah, I mean, that's a great question. And I think if you really look at the landscape, you have to conclude that choice has gone down, but the counter to that is that information is freer than ever. Right? We have so many tools available online to determine what's the best product for a particular trip that even though I think the choice in the marketplace has gone down, the ability to find the right thing for you on any given trip is easier than ever. Sick. And I'm talking about Root Happy, Google Flights, Kayak, Skyscanner, Momondo, our website, cntraveler.com, look it up. <laughs> um, you know, it's easier than ever to know. And then all of these sort of flight bloggers and flight boards and and reviews. I mean, you can get a review of the premium economy seat on a certain kind of Singapore Airlines aircraft. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, and that didn't necessarily happen that long ago or in necessarily such an accessible way with like photos and video. Exactly, and from somebody who really you know knows what he or she is talking about. I mean, that's a really valuable. Service to the consumer, I think, that didn't necessarily exist a long time ago, and you, you know, you sort of hold that up against the fact that, like, let's face it, there are fewer airlines than there used to be, and yeah. that and exactly. is,
1: yeah, the- definitively
3: less choice. Well, that's what I see as one of the biggest changes because
1: we've had, you know, this huge wave of consolidation, and I think this year is the year it's really hitting. You know, and and Paul mentioned Virgin America. Yeah. Well, Virgin America's last flight as a Virgin America flight, you know, with all the bells and whistles, that'll be in early 2019, apparently. So you have all of 2018, if you want to. If you want to do what Paul did and, <laughs> and take
0: a nostalgia flight.
1: And it's it's kind of unfortunate. I mean, yes, you know, we're, we're really entering into an era where it's going to be very difficult, if not impossible, for, a, you know, a very savvy upstart to come in and take on the big airlines cuz the big airlines are kind of let's face it they're interchangeable almost they're bland they're kind of boring well, the big domestic you know, we yeah, talking exactly. about right we're talking about the big 3 plus southwest and southwest is different let's face it but they're they're also a, a very big airline and they're not necessarily
2: always the lowest fare airline either
1: right so, and they're not no, for everyone that yeah. that no.
3: product that they're offering is they not they
2: have a very specific product appealing and, to everyone I, yeah I do think what Alaska is doing with its Virgin merger, though, is really interesting, because you basically took the equivalent of two Jet Blues, two Virgins, you know, like boutique kind of airlines, and you made one much bigger airline and what it's doing in the next year or two, it's going to open a huge lounge at JFK. The idea that Alaska, even though it's been around for 85 years, will have a master presence at JFK, is that's ridiculous. And then you have a lot of the West Coast routes that Virgin had being based out of San Francisco now at its disposal. Seattle is going to become a bigger hub. That's interesting, right? That opens up a whole part of the Pacific Northwest up through Vancouver. Um, because Alaska, is it's a misnomer. It's not an Alaska-based airline. It's a Seattle-based airline. And it's becoming, I think, something like the, I don't want to get this wrong, but it's, it's making its way up the list in the biggest domestic airlines that we have it's probably like fifth or sixth. Yes, that, Do you remember what it yes,
1: is? I think it's the fifth. Yeah, it'll yeah. be the fifth largest. And so, yeah, that it's it's funny. I'm sort of surprised that they haven't finally decided. Hey, maybe we need to change this name. It's a little too much of an outlier, you know. Alaska. It's almost surprising yeah. they didn't
0: yeah. go the other way and yeah. turn Alaska into Virgin America because Virgin America had such brand equity. Yeah,
2: but it, you compare it. Virgin America was around for like one fifth the amount of time yeah. that no, Alaska I was. I mean, there's pride. They still have pride <laughs> up in the Pacific Northwest. And so. you have to
3: repaint all those. T- so you know, the, the bear and the salmon and all this stuff. Yeah. <laughs>
2: no, in a way, that's—I think a larger
1: Alaska, you know, with with Virgin and and, and hopefully melding the best of both, is going to be a great competitor to the big three. And Southwest, and and you know you've got JetBlue in there too. So that's that's a healthy industry, but particularly I still, to
0: JetBlue, I think they're going to like hard at JetBlue. Jet yeah, it's yes, like yeah. right in that same spot. The yeah.
2: offering is very similar. Yeah, the kind of seats, the kind of food, the kind of in-flight entertainment. They are getting more and more interchangeable, but they still have more personality than the big three do. Yeah.
1: yeah. The problem is, though, I think if you look at just domestically versus interne- internationally, there's a lot of exciting things happening. There are a lot of new airlines, you know, airlines like Singapore are rolling out their low fare clones like, like Scoot and, you know, same with Air France and has June and, you know, BA has... I mean, there are great things going on there. But in this country, it just seems to have really contracted. And, you know, while I agree with Paul that there is a lot more information out there, I think think it's really hard to comparison shop these days if i mean it because it's just you know things seem so all over that they're it's changing all the time if you want to do any of the add-ons then how do you do an apples to apples comparison it's really difficult. yeah i agree um, with you
3: on that it's really yeah. difficult to price compare yeah, like what what is the price i'm being offered on this website versus the price i'm ultimately going to pay and and should i factor in the fact that right on that flight i'm going to want you know to pay for the Quality snack box and the and the extra drink, but on this other flight, I know that I'm going to get a free snack that's sufficient for that flight or whatever it is, and then the baggage, you know, the bag fees. And am I avoiding those with a credit card? And I agree with you 100% that what am I? What is the price I'm actually going to pay? I, I never seem to know until after I'm home.
2: Google Flights just um, this week, if this is airing Friday, we're pre-taping. Yay. Um, Google Flights just started spelling out those fares a bit more when you look, which is great because it's one of the best aggregators out there. And it will tell you if you are booking a basic economy fare, which United American, American and Delta all have. And it's the bare, bare bones, like you're saying, Paul, like you're lucky if you get a seat on the plane kind of fare um, and you may be paying to use the overhead bin. You may be paying to just get on the plane Um, that you'll, you'll be in a very, very back of the line boarding class if you don't. So that kind of transparency is becoming part of the aggregators, right? Because otherwise, if you were booking through kayak or Armando, this happened to me, you don't necessarily realize you're booking that basic economy fare until you get to the very end. Maybe there's some fine print. Maybe you don't read it like most of us do or choose not to. And then all of a sudden you are stuck.
0: You guys have been talking to Google a little bit. Flights is uh, a utility that's gotten better and better Last, late last year. They kind of rolled out what had already been available in their mobile experience, which I find super useful. Um, the grid that they give you to choose pricing that gives you sort of like a number of days on either side of your departure and your arrival. I feel like that tool is sort of started to set the standard for all of the aggregators.
2: Do you remember back before Microsoft bought it and became Bing Travel what that farecaster was called? Do you remember, Barbara? Microsoft bought it and it would tell you, you know, wait (laughs) a week. It was one of the early versions of it. Um, It's great that Google is now on board with that, and will give you that window. Um, other websites like Fairness will do the same thing. Mm-hmm. It's not new. This is definitely not new technology. We've been predicting or trying to predict whether or not we should book flights. And signing up for emails, that will tell us each week whether they're trending up or trending down or kind of hitting a plateau. Um, but when you have the biggies, like Kayak has this function as well. So I I think it should be a necessity. I think it's every aggregator should
0: be doing this. Um. One thing I wanted to make sure we talked about is some news that came out this week that we reported on, as well as everybody else, which is that in-flight Wi-Fi, and you called this in your article, Barbara, in-flight Wi-Fi is getting much better. I think the headline on our story was it was going to be as good as your home Wi-Fi. Which we (laughs) joked might not be that good. Well, I was going (laughs) to say, as a Spectrum customer, I was not that excited, (laughs) to be perfectly honest. (laughs) But... (laughs) <laughs> we could do better. Um, but what's going on with Wi-Fi yeah. in the well, air? Well,
1: that has been a huge change, again, because, you know, the airlines sort of flirted with it, and then, you know, Lufthansa came out with something with Boeing about 10 years ago, and it was a flop. And then, you know, so we've all sort of, you know, gotten used to this kind of wonk, you know, if, if it works at all. It's, it's, you know, it's it's so... But the airlines... I will say one thing, and maybe I was being a little too hard on the, the big three for being kind of bland and big and boring, but you know what... They're putting a lot of those profits they're making from those fees we're paying, and they're putting them into things that we do care about. And one of the things is really, you know, the airlines have figured out that if they can just do a few things right and keep us happy and maybe distracted is more to the point, um, then we'll be happier. And, you know, they won't get as many complaints. And hey, that's great. So one thing that can keep you really happy is to be able to log on to your laptop or watch some entertainment and you know whatever and so they've put a huge amount of money into this so what we're seeing is um that not only is the wi-fi getting faster in go-go which it had a a fair number of complaints about the slowness of their service. They've just moved to a new, better, you know, broadband uh, link, and, and that's a very strong Delta partner. So they've got a lot of money behind that. And now you can actually you know, log onto your Internet Across the ocean, which was another one that was a big technological hurdle there, because it's one thing to do it over the, you know, land. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well,
2: why? Why mm. is that? Can you
1: say more about that? You get away from the whole sort of, you know, ground-based, you know, towers and get into a satellite connection, mm-hmm. which gets a lot more elaborate and expensive, and the, each aircraft has to be equipped with um, very expensive, you know, technology. I mean, it's about a hundred thousand per plane, I think. So it's it's not cheap. You know, so. But, again, when you had an airline industry that was hemorrhaging money, you weren't going to see that sort of innovation.
0: Yeah, and I also feel like – I was going to ask you, do you feel like they're getting – they're seeing the light? Like, it feels to me like the way to go in their – Circumstance, like sure, a hundred thousand a plane, but it's how many millions of dollars does a plane cost these days? And like the technology that they've been investing in, I feel like there is all of this investment in kind of silly stuff. You know, like we're gonna develop our own entertainment network and we're gonna you know create a whole mm-hmm. sort of ecosystem around movies and TV and they must be paying all kinds of licensing money and they must be making all putting all kinds of energy into that. Whereas if they just let everybody use their phone or their iPad or their computer and connect to Wi-Fi, like, Problem solved, right? Like, and everybody is happier. That's a happier world for everyone.
1: Yeah, and we're also seeing a lot of innovation coming over from European airlines that are doing things like expedited boarding, where you don't even have to hand something to somebody at the gate. You know, you, there is also, you know, as I think we referenced earlier in this, that, you know, automatic check-in, so, you know, I know it doesn't sound that big a deal, okay, automatic check-in, well, how hard is it to check-in online or anything, but it's removing one more pain point, potentially, you know, so the more of those pain points they can
2: just eliminate, it's, you know, going to be huge. Mm -hmm. So, last kind of forward-thinking question, have any of you gone through security where they did biometric screening, where they scanned you in through your face?
0: Yes, yeah. clear does that. Yeah. Oh. Okay. Yeah. What What was that like? Yeah. Because that's and, and, a, and, a bigger push this
2: year as well.
1: Yeah. No. I. I think that is going to be one of the major things now. And now, I mean, I. I took several international trips just recently. I went to Tokyo. I went to. Lisbon, each time you know they they capture your image um, you know i i have no problem with that i mean so and <laughs> and uh, they're experimenting with lufthansa is doing this now i think in la but That's they're right. starting to do this around the country and every major gateway they serve so that just means that yeah they will have enough information about you from your reservation and from you know some sort of biometric id that um, you can go through with minimal interaction with uh, gate agents or whoever. So what
2: stage during the security process does that happen?
1: Well, it's not necessarily the security process it's also the boarding process or the check-in process it depends on if you're talking about the airline doing it or the tsa i'd say is going to be way behind don't hold
3: your breath yeah, huh? yeah. <laughs> yeah
1: exactly but you're right that it is exactly the clear Clear are like that, what is it a retinal
0: yeah. scan i think it was a retinal yeah. scan at the gate right? where'd you do it uh when they identify you as a clear passenger so it's before they take you through the tsa Service. They have like a, a machine that you right. go up to, and they do a, a retinal uh, scan. Well, it's, for it's you three
1: things actually that they try to capture. They they try to do your you know, They do your fingerprints uh-huh. and your facial scan and retinal scan, as you say. I mean, the, the yeah. facial
0: scan is the hardest one of yeah. those, right? Like I have the iPhone X, and it does that. iPhone 10, whatever, mm-hmm. and it does that. And that's like this incredibly complicated piece. That the clear thing is that the retinal scan feels like an intermediate stage between fingerprint and you know, facial scan, because um, it's it seems like it's smaller, it's a more defined, like, space. And so, in my experience with Clear, you would go up to their machine, you do the little, lean into the little device and do the retinal scan, and that's how they make sure that you are you and not just somebody, you know, carrying your ID or whatever else it is. So but is, it, isn't Australia
2: kind of doing a test run on um, making all that information available on your passport in the same way? Like, I think they won a, an award last year for trying this out. Yeah,
0: I feel like they've been experimenting with this for the last, like, two years. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know that it's netted out anywhere. Like, that stuff hasn't spread to other parts of the industry. But it only makes sense. And I constantly wait for the day where, like, we're all now carrying around... These devices,
2: cell phones. The, the, Do we call the, them cell these, phones. These, these, still?
0: <laughs> whatever they are, the little computers in our pockets. And they are increasingly strong um, and secure for you as a passenger. Like one of the things that, if, if the government starts doing that, that means that the government has then whatever it is that they're taking, whether it's your fingerprint or your uh, retinal scan or your facial scan. And that is a little unnerving for some people, right? Because the way that Apple does it, that stuff stays in what they call a secure enclave, right? And so they do it in such a way that Apple doesn't ever have your fingerprint. So nobody can hack into Apple and get your fingerprint. And Apple can't divulge your fingerprint, you know, to um, anybody else. The government may or may not do it in that same kind of way. Let's say it's unlikely that they would do it in that same kind of way. And so if they start moving in that direction, I think it's going to be interesting to see how people react to you know and whether there will be options for that sort of thing
2: the future is biometric
0: the future is biometric paul i before i know you got to go i know we got to go but I, i do think just saying what you found in cuba because there's been a lot of confusion about about cuba and about the new sort of process there
3: oh man well i could tell you a lot about cuba um not in five minutes but uh, <laughs> given that this is a future of, of air travel podcast, I'll focus on that point, which is, it was super easy to fly to Cuba. It was like most other international services with a few little caveats. So for the, uh, for the first piece, I worked with a travel agency based in the US that specializes in Cuba to secure a visa. Um, I was traveling on a journalist visa, but you could just as easily get a tourist visa under a people-to-people category, uh, support for the Cuban people category. There are these other categories, and for anybody who's interested, I think we've we've got a ton of stuff about Cuba on the site, uh, but when I got to the airport um, You kind of just walk up to a check-in desk. This is an interesting part. You can't check in online for a Cuba flight. I tried, uh, but there's too much sort of paperwork verification for them to, I think, okay that. Uh, So I walked up. What did you fly? Did you fly United? I flew JetBlue out of JFK. And so it's out of Terminal 5, the JFK hub uh, for JetBlue. And walked up, showed them my visa, my passport. They said, "Okay, this all looks good. I need you to sign this affidavit." Um, I purchased my ticket actually through a travel agency that specializes in in air, although you can just as easily buy it on the JetBlue site. Uh, so I had to sign an affidavit that stated that I was going under a approved category of travel. I had. No problem doing that, since that's what I was doing. Um, and then I noticed that the that the ticket agent sort of took the affidavit and just set it to the side of the counter, probably never to be seen again. <laughs> but um, I got a boarding pass. I went through security. And then I sat around the airport for two hours, <laughs> because JetBlue says on their site, get there three hours early for Havana travel. I mean, it was nothing to it. Yeah. Um, so I had a nice breakfast. <laughs> well, it was a <laughs> mediocre breakfast, honestly. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, Terminal 5. <laughs> but um, then we boarded the flight, and the most interesting thing about it was that there were uh, only 15 other people on board. So out that how part many seats was like out of 150 seats. Right? So that was a very strange part of the deal. But then you uh, tweeted. But other than that. It was it was sort of the same. Oh sorry, I, okay, I'm I'm on the hook for my tweets here now.
0: Well no, you tweeted that the airlines are requesting more flight capacity to go down. Yeah,
3: well that was a really interesting thing and and we should divulge at this point. Barbara and I were at the same conference and in fact flew down <laughs> together. So if there's yeah. if there's any doubt about my account, I'm sure she'll chime in here and 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 fact check me uh, yeah. live here on the podcast, but um, yeah, so we were at this conference uh, that's all about you know travel to Cuba and what's the state of affairs, and, and again, that's sort of a topic for another podcast, but um, a representative from American said that, that American Airlines has requested 17 more weekly services between Havana and Miami, because apparently that route is very, very popular, and I think it's probably for obvious reasons. The connections between Cuba and Miami are well-known, uh, but other parts of the country are not seeing the same amount of demand either from Cuban Americans or you know sort of leisure travelers who are going there just to check it out and and I think you saw that on the JetBlue flight being that empty and we heard while we were in Cuba that other services are also um, experiencing very low what they call load factors so not a lot of people on board the flight. Between JFK and Havana.
2: Yeah, I
1: thought more airlines were scaling back. Yeah, is that the, what yeah. Said some have dropped out. Some, some said they wanted to fly and just said, you know, after a while, no, you know, the demand wasn't there. I mean, yeah, as much as we exactly. write about it, talk about it. Yeah, and well, it is. It is. Unf- oh, look, we all know the reasons why that is, right? Um, as Paul mentioned, I was down there at the same time, but I had to get back on Monday, so I flew back via Miami, and the flight was completely full. And, you know, so, okay, Miami Havana is a route that will always make sense because the one group of people that can just go without even having to worry about having to explain why they're going, is family of Cubans. So that is a great market. And American is, I think, going to really dominate that. So I saw the, you know, look, I'd much rather fly on a plane with 15 people on it. You know, I mean, that's really like, <laughs> so, it feels like super first class, it was it? so <laughs> luxurious. You know? I mean, let me
3: tell you, you have not <laughs> yeah. been on a flight like that in, yeah. in decades, yeah. you know, to be able to just every single person on the plane has a row to themselves. No, I it, mean, that's unheard of, right? And it
1: was just like a normal domestic flight. You know, we got Wi-Fi, we got the TV, you know, we it was just, it's really, and it's three and a half hours yeah. nonstop. It's great. So, I mean, I really feel like more people should do this. It's legal, as Paul said, and it's great. article. Yeah. I mean, it's just, you know, it's safe, it's, you know, but I think that, that obviously we're seeing the effects of, you know, the information that's coming out
2: and... We re- it on our and, site. Paul did a really good story yeah. recently. We've been... Cuba is kind of a passion point for us. I think everyone at this podcast right now has been
3: right. Now. Right. Right.
2: And I think, um, the Miami flight I remember was absolutely packed and people were ferrying all kinds of good stuff like toys for kids and TVs. I mean, and there was a lot. My into New York flight was
0: like, that. The, yeah. my New York flight was actually like, uh, you know, a very happy, you know, crowded flight. But that was a year ago, you know? Um,
2: for me three years ago. I don't even know it anymore. It's so different every day, right? I mean, you guys were there this week and it will change by the end of the week.
0: Yeah. Yes, certainly.
2: And
1: I think, Paul's right, that Havana is going to be a great market for different reasons. But the rest of the... All these airlines rushed in to grab those rights yeah. when they first became available, and the problem is, is that you know they they weren't thinking beyond that. They felt like I just got to plant the flag and then yeah. worry about it later. Yeah. But all of these flights to other places like Holguin and you know, what's coming again? Santiago, and, uh, right? Uh, they have been really performing very poorly because, frankly, you know it's hard to justify going there if you can't be a tourist. Yeah. And there's this whole antipathy to tourists, you know, it's just, it's, you know, and hopefully it's going to change. I, I, I think, you know, we just, you know. Yeah. It's, no. it's
3: true. It is, it is more complicated than, you know, taking just a beach vacation to another part of the Caribbean, but man, is it way more fulfilling mm-hmm. than that too at the same yeah, time. So. totally. Totally.
0: It's worth doing if you can work it out. I think your demystifier... Paul is great because there, it's been so confusing for the last you know year. I think it, it's been hard to know what the, no number one, what the policy was, where the policy's headed, but then also on the ground, like, what do people actually, what's the enforcement like? And um, people I think it's good for people to know that, like, actually, if you can fit into one of these categories, you still can do this, and it's really not that hard.
1: So yeah, and one of thing. the things we learned, too, is that um, according to all the people who were there that we talked, that, that they're not really enforcing this. I mean seriously, if you come back, I mean, we we breeze right through there. There's not going to be some person standing there trying to scrutinize, okay, how much time did you spend at the beach? Did you, you know, how much time did you spend at the I, I think people really have gotten spooked by this, you know, misinformation coming out and it's yeah. really unfortunate. Yeah,
0: it is. It is. Okay. um, Well, we need to bring it to a close there. Um, Thanks to all of you guys for coming down. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. We are on iTunes. We are on SoundCloud. Um, Please do visit us at cntraveler.com, where you can read uh, all of our airline coverage, which is extensive. And also, I got to do my my usual scolding. If you haven't subscribed to the Women Who Travel podcast, you are remiss. Get out there and do that. you don't have to be a woman to subscribe to the Women Who Travel podcast. <laughs> um, and in fact, it's quite, uh, it's quite great. They're finishing up the first season now, and we'll start a second season um, a month from now. Um, we are at Condé Nast Traveler on Facebook and YouTube, and CN Traveler on Instagram and Snapchat and Twitter. And please do tweet at us. Um, send us feedback. Review us on iTunes. The reviews on iTunes, I just wanted to say to all the iTunes reviewers, I am not a millennial. So those of you who are upset with the millennial character of the podcast, I just like to say thank you. It's very complimentary. But you do
2: curse a lot.
0: I do curse a lot. So the people who are complaining about the cursing, especially when me and Seb are on the same podcast, um, that is that is valid. I, I take that. <laughs> but but it, ain't, it ain't. I ain't no millennial. Um, wish that I were. <laughs> but in any case, where can people get in touch with you, Paul Brady?
3: Oh, uh, send me an email. It's out there on the internet, or you can tweet me. I'm at P underscore Brady B-R-A-D-Y Barbara
1: uh, Yes, you can tweet at me I guess, at, at Peterson
2: B
0: Peterson B, no underscores just nope. Peterson B nope. And Laura
2: I'm at Danon825 on Twitter and at Laura underscore Redman on
0: Instagram And I'm at Bradrick Have a great weekend everybody